ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Elizabeth Fricke. And now for today's environmental news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Thursday, October 28th. I'm Nathaniel Winesapple. Recently, multiple Bloomington restaurants and stores have begun to transition away from grown and mass produce to crops from local farms. This transition has been due to the desire of restaurant owners to support local farmers and use more sustainable and higher quality products. While this may increase the price of foods at some restaurants, it does come with a set of higher quality and standards. This farmer to restaurant relationship has been helpful in allowing both sections of the economy to rebound from the pandemic lows of the last year. Google has announced that their company will begin to crack down on digital advertising that promotes climate change denial or other falsified climate change information. This will be done by limiting the amount of potential revenue that creators can make from such content. Google will use both automated tools and manual human reviewers to limit posts that include this harmful information. The company is taking climate change very seriously, including with a new push to encourage their users to reduce their carbon footprints and lower emissions. This announcement coincides with Google's crackdown on other misinformation, such as the spreading of conspiracy theories about COVID-19 vaccines. As Bloomington enters the start of fall, it is important to prepare for the colder weather that will be here soon. Experts recommend that residents check and possibly clean their gutters, as clogged water that freezes can cause damage to your house. Similarly, now is the best time to fix any cracks on your driveway, which could potentially result in giant potholes. Gardeners advise that now is also a good time to fertilize your lawns, which helps prep the ground to grow green grass once the winter is over for next year's spring and summer months. That's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Winesapple. And now for your headline stories. Inside Indiana Business Reports, that is one of the top auto manufacturing states in the U.S., Indiana appears to be well-positioned to embrace the growing electric vehicle sector, according to Paul Mitchell, President and Chief Executive Officer of Indianapolis-based Energy Systems Network. 
He says the state's manufacturing reputation and workforce could signal automakers like Toyota that the state is ready for an EV battery manufacturing plant. This week, Toyota announced it will invest approximately $3.4 billion in automotive batteries in the U.S. through 2030. In an interview with Inside Indiana Business, Mitchell said parts suppliers are a key reason for the success of Indiana's auto industry. Quote, when you are a large automotive manufacturing state, it means you've got a robust supply chain of components and parts that can go into a battery pack, end quote, said Mitchell. Quote, there are pieces of metal and plastic and casings that connectors and wires and all those kinds of things that go into a battery pack, and we make a lot of that stuff in Indiana, end quote. Toyota's investment includes the construction of a $1.3 billion automotive battery plant near one of its vehicle assembly plants. Toyota Manufacturing Indiana in Princeton is one of those plants, which is already focused on EV generation. In April, TMMI announced plans to invest $800 million to retool the manufacturing lines at the Gibson County plant to produce two electric vehicle models and add 1,400 workers. The dirtiest fossil fuel is enjoying a renaissance in the U.S., but it could usher in a dark age for the climate. The nation's coal-fired power output is expected to surge for the first time in years, the Energy Information Administration said. By the end of this year, the U.S. will ramp up its coal production by 22 percent. That marks the first year-over-year -year uptick since 2014. U.S. coal use has been in steady decline for years due to rising prices, cheap natural gas and renewables, and to some extent concerns about its environmental impact. Even former President Donald Trump, who promised to end the war on coal, rolled back dozens of regulations to benefit the industry, couldn't fight those market forces. In 2019, as the cost of fossil gas dropped to record lows, coal usage fell to its lowest level since 1964. The following year, the economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic dealt the coal sector another heavy blow. Experts predicted it could never recover. The choice of fuel for utilities is based on tradition. Actually, wind is the cheapest approach to generating electricity, yet many communities in Indiana are turning down wind proposals. This surge in coal uses is temporary, but the greatest negative is that it takes the pressure off companies to build the infrastructure necessary to move from fossil fuels to renewables. Indiana clean energy advocates are concerned about a state task force's recent focus on small nuclear reactors as a solution for the state's energy future. The 21st Century Energy Task Force was initially created by the legislature in 2019 to make policy recommendations related to the state's future electric grid. At a recent meeting, the focus was on small nuclear reactors. They have been touted as a safe and economical replacement for fossil fuel power plants, but the earliest test projects aren't expected to come online until the end of the decade. Critics see plenty of risk with them, including the need to indefinitely store spent radioactive fuel. The focus on a promising but unproven technology also distracts from existing options that are ready to be deployed today, they say. Quote, not only is all this R&D money being sunk into small reactors hurting renewables, it gives them an excuse to not make investments today that they should be making, end quote, 
said Citizens Action Coalition Executive Director Kerwin Olson. Quote, we have clean, available, cheap, off-the-shelf technology today with solar and wind and demand response. That's where our investments today should be going, end quote. This seems to be the latest example of Indiana politics. Try everything else before adopting the correct solution. New legislation offers hope and urgency to survivors of uranium mining. The legislation in the U.S. Congress extends and expands the 1990 Radiation Exposure Compensation Act program, which provides compensation to uranium mill and mining workers, atomic veterans, who are military personnel who were exposed to nuclear tests to study their effects, and downwinders in some affected states. Without congressional action, the act will expire in July of 2022. According to Susan Gordon, coordinator of the Multicultural Alliance for a Safe Environment, quote, the extension and expansion of compensation in the Act's amendments will help many New Mexicans who have been harmed by the uranium industry. From the Laguna and Nacoma Pueblos west to the Navajo Nation, our communities have been left with radioactive contamination, polluted waters, and deadly health impacts. The Radiation Exposure Compensation Act is a small step forward to address the environmental injustice from the legacy of uranium mining, end quote. Under the act, eligible participants go through a claim process with the Department of Justice to review their histories of exposure. Under the current bill, those who are found eligible receive between $50,000 and $150,000. The new bill with amendments would raise that compensation to $150,000 for all claimants. After Donald Trump's unprecedented and illegal attack on public lands, in which he shrank national monuments so that extractive industries could exploit them, the Biden administration has restored protections to the Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments in the West and to the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts National Monuments. At least 80,000 people submitted public comments or wrote to members of Congress, overwhelmingly demonstrating the unpopularity of Trump's attack. Several environmental groups also were relentless in their legal work to put protecting the national monuments on the top of the Biden administration's agenda. The monuments are much more than just beautiful landscapes. Because of this victory, sacred tribal cultural sites are protected from looting, additional people won't be exposed to the toxic effects of uranium, the oil and gas industry's land grab was defeated, and our leaders have gotten the message that the American people aren't going to let private interests carve up and profit from our public lands. According to a story in the New York Times, Florida's version of the American dream, which holds that even people of relatively modest means can aspire to live near the water, depends on a few crucial components, sugar-white beaches, soft ocean breezes, and federal flood insurance that is heavily subsidized. But starting October 1st, communities in Florida and elsewhere around the country will see those subsidies begin to disappear in a nationwide experiment in trying to adapt to climate change, forcing Americans to pay something closer to the real cost of their flood risk, which is rising as the planet warms. While the program also covers homes around the country, the pain will be most acutely felt in coastal communities. 
For the first time, the new rates will also take into account the size of a home so that large houses by the ocean could see an especially big jump in rates. Over a few years, rates could increase tenfold. Federal officials say the goal is fairness and also getting homeowners to understand the extent of the risk they face and perhaps move to safer ground, reducing the human financial toll of disasters. The fossil fuel industry is a major contributor to the breast cancer epidemic. From extraction and processing to fossil fuel products and byproducts, the industry exposes people to such carcinogenic chemicals as benzene, polyaromatic hydrocarbons, dioxins, and PFAS. Susan G. Coleman, one of the world's largest breast cancer organizations, has a history of minimizing the environmental harms linked to breast cancer. Coleman has partnered with Bank of America to create the Susan G. Coleman Pink Ribbon Banking Program, which includes both a credit and debit card. Those cards exploit the goodwill of the breast cancer community to increase Bank of America's profits. Meanwhile, Bank of America is a major funder of the cancer-causing fossil fuel industry. Every purchase made through Bank of America's Pink Ribbon Banking Program goes toward the $1.5 million that Bank of America has pledged to give Susan G. Komen between 2021 and 23. The banking cards are emblazoned with the pink ribbon that's come to symbolize breast cancer. By accepting money from the Pink Ribbon Banking Program, Komen is indirectly contributing to the fossil fuel industry. Komen continues to claim to care about ending breast cancer while accepting millions of dollars from a bank that funds an industry that causes the disease. The Boundary Waters is a region of wilderness straddling the Canada-United States border between Ontario and Minnesota in the area just west of Lake Superior. The Boundary Waters region is characterized by a vast network of waterways and landscape of Precambrian bedrock covered in thin soils and boreal forest. The Boundary Waters is a popular destination for recreationalists pursuing camping, canoeing, and fishing, as well as for those simply looking for natural scenery and relaxation. The Biden administration dealt a serious blow last week to the proposed Twin Metals Copper Nickel Mine in northeastern Minnesota, ordering a study that could lead to a 20-year ban on mining upstream from the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. The U.S. Forest Service filed an application with the Bureau of Land Management for a mineral withdrawal, which would begin with a two-year comprehensive study of the likely environmental and other impacts of mining if it were permitted in the watershed that flows into the Boundary Waters. Quote, A place like the Boundary Waters should be enjoyed by and protected for everyone, not only today but for future generations. End quote. Interior Secretary Deb Halen said in a statement. The Biden administration has taken several steps on the environmental front to reverse the previous administration's initiatives. Earlier this month, President Joe Biden restored the Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments in Utah, undoing President Donald Trump's decision to open them for mining and other development. Biden also killed the Keystone XL oil pipeline, although he has disappointed environmental and Native American groups by not stopping the Enbridge Energy Line 3 oil pipeline. Over 2,000 Puerto Ricans protesting the island's privatization of the electricity grid shut down a main highway recently in the capital, San Juan.
Privatization of the grid has caused long power outages, longer than normal restoration times, and increases in costs. The last time demonstrators shut down the highway was in 2019, when protests led to the governor's resignation. The protesters demanded cancellation of the island's 15-year contract with the private company, Luna Energy, that took over Puerto Rico's distribution and transmission of electricity in June. The company was supposed to spend billions of dollars to overhaul the beleaguered electrical grid, but after several months, the island has had to declare a state of emergency after a series of rolling blackouts and substation fire that eliminated power to 800,000 residents. To make matters worse, Puerto Ricans are paying much more for their power under Luna. Before Luna took over, Puerto Ricans already paid twice as much as power customers in the U.S. The continual power outages and price increases are enhancing the Puerto Rican people's militancy. Pedro Ortiz, a Catholic priest who's part of the coalition that organized the protest, said during a press event, quote, This campaign to sell our country, to privatize it, it's not going to stop. We, the people of Puerto Rico, are the ones who are going to stop it, end quote. Indigenous resistance to fossil fuel projects in the U.S. and Canada over the last decade is paying off for the planet. A recent report from the Indigenous Environmental Network and Oil Change International has found that resistance to 21 such projects has halted or postponed an amount of greenhouse gas emissions equivalent to at least 25% of annual emissions from the two countries. That's the pollution equivalent of about 400 new coal-fired power plants or some 345 million cars, more than all the vehicles on the road in those countries. Those achievements occur despite a blitz of attacks against indigenous activists in recent years. Indigenous winds through direct action have led to the passage of new anti-protest laws by 35 states, jail time for protesters, thousands of dollars in fines, and the murder of leading activists. As Dallas Goldtooth, an organizer with the Indigenous Environmental Network, pointed out, quote, From an indigenous perspective, when we are confronting the climate crisis, we are inherently confronting the systems of colonization and white supremacy as well. It's more than just stopping fracking development and pipelines, and it's more than just developing clean energy. It's about actually fundamentally changing how we see the world itself, end quote. Almost a third of the world's trees are at risk of extinction due to agriculture, logging, and increasingly, the global climate emergency, according to a report by a UK-based conservation group. According to Botanic Gardens Conservation, more than 17,000 types of trees face the risk of extinction. More than 400 of those at-risk species have only less than 50 specimens left in the wild, and more than 100 species of trees are extinct in their natural habitat. Tree diversity is unevenly distributed across the globe. The largest number of tree species is in Central and South America, followed by the other tropical regions of Southeast Asia and Africa. The highest proportion of threatened species is found in tropical Africa, including Madagascar. Temperate zones of Europe, Asia, and North America, which have relatively low tree diversity, also have the lowest proportion of tree species that are threatened with extinction. 
Madagascar, Brazil, and Indonesia have the highest numbers of threatened tree species. To save the trees, officials must target the spread of invasive diseases and pests, the exploitive timber trade, and the loss of habitat to forest clearance. The United Nations High Commissioner on Human Rights, the globe's leading human rights legal body, ruled that Stephen Donziger's house arrest is illegal under international law and requested the U.S. release him. Donziger is a lawyer who led a lawsuit against the Chevron Oil Company on behalf of 30,000 indigenous people and peasant farmers in the Ecuadorian Amazon, whose land and water the corporation destroyed by polluting them with oil, resulting in the deaths of thousands of people. Eight years ago, Donziger won a $9.5 billion settlement against Chevron in Ecuadorian courts. It was the largest ever human rights and environmental court decision. Chevron refused to pay. Instead, it concentrated on attacking Donziger in court. In 2019, an industry-friendly judge placed him on house arrest, where he's been ever since. Now, Donziger is in contempt of court because he refused to obey a judge's order to relinquish his phone, laptop, and other electronic devices to Chevron, saying that to do so would violate his client's right to privacy. A judge has denied the UN's request and sentenced Donziger to the maximum sentence of six months in jail. Donziger's lawyers are filing an appeal, but pending the appeal. The judge denied Donziger's bail. Donziger now has the dubious choice of remaining on house arrest or beginning serving jail time to reduce the time on house arrest. Amazon Watch, an organization that protects the Amazon rainforest, observed, quote, The saga of Chevron's perversion of the law and denial of justice for the people of Ecuador reached a new chapter as Donziger was even denied bail pending appeal of the decision, end quote. The largest study performed so far on the psychological effects of the climate crisis on young people has found that the crisis is causing extensive psychological distress in youth around the world. According to Grist, quote, researchers from the United States, United Kingdom, and Finland found that 45% of teens and young adults say climate anxiety is affecting their daily lives and ability to function. It's the first study to suggest that young people's emotional distress is strongly linked to their government's failure to respond, end quote. Seventy-five percent of those surveyed said that the future was scary, and more than 50 percent believed that, quote, humanity is doomed, end quote. Nearly 40 percent said they're reluctant to have children. The researchers found that worries about the climate crisis were concentrated more in poorer countries, ones that have contributed the least to carbon emissions heating the planet. About 58% of respondents said their governments were betraying them and future generations. Mitzi Tan, a 23-year-old from the Philippines, said, quote, I grew up being afraid of drowning in my own bedroom. Society tells me that this anxiety is an irrational fear that needs to be overcome, one that meditation and healthy coping mechanisms will fix. At its root, our climate anxiety comes from this deep-set feeling of betrayal because of government inaction. To truly address our growing climate anxiety, we need justice." End quote. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. 
And I'm Elizabeth Fricke. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we are all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Get scared as you take a spooky folklore hike at Spring Mill State Park on Friday, October 29th from 7 to 8 p.m. Meet volunteer Anthony at the Lakeview Activity Center for an evening hike and hear three spooky local folklore tales. Buried Treasure of Sam Bass, Tunnelton Tunnel Watchman, and Chain on the Tombstone of Bond Chapel. This will be a rugged two-mile hike on trails two, four, and one. You can help plant local trees and shrubs throughout the Matlock Heights neighborhood on Saturday, October 30th from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Local trees and shrubs help local wildlife live and thrive. This is an excellent volunteer opportunity for groups. Make sure you have a mask with you if you cannot social distance. Contact Sarah Owen at parksvol at bloomington.in.gov to volunteer. Enjoy a fall foliage hike at the Paintown State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Sunday, October 31st from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. Meet at the trailhead to join the naturalists for a guided stroll along the Tree Trek Trail to learn about leaf color change and search for signs of autumn animal activity. Please plan to arrive on time. Have fun during a fall scavenger hunt at the RCA Community Park in Bloomington on Saturday, November 6th from 11 a.m. to noon. See if you can find all the benchmarks of fall as you search the park. Bring a bag for scavenging and dress for the weather. Meet at the small shelter. The very popular Cave River Valley Hike is scheduled for Saturday, November 6th from 1230 to 3 p.m. at Spring Mill State Park. Meet the naturalist in the Donaldson parking lot to learn about this beautiful and primitive nature preserve. You will follow in your car to the Cave River Valley, which is 15 miles away. The hike is very rugged and waterproof boots are recommended. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. David Lyman assembled the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar, and Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. 
For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Elizabeth Fricke. And happy Halloween this weekend, everybody. This is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org. Thank you.